Greetings, this is Gary Rogowski from the Northwest Woodworking Studio, a school for woodworkers. Today's topic, hand tools versus power tools. I'm going to extemporize on this subject. There seems to be some chatter these days about approaches, and uh, I, I wanted to uh, look, at the, look at the two sides, look at the two sides. So I'll take both and, uh, and see where this argument goes. Hand tools. Well, I would say we would start with hand tools since they came before power tools, but in truth, most woodworkers start with power tools. I know I did. Um, you get a saw of some sort. Uh, for me, I got a circular saw from my dad. I got a jigsaw from him. You know, I had some rough electric saws to start work. And then my first machine that I bought was a radial arm saw, a uh, tool that could do six different jobs all poorly. Um, so it was really quite a quite a find. The radial arm saw uh, that I had was, a, was an old craftsman, and I just, in the end, just made it do cross cuts. I did try and uh, change out the bearings and fuss with it endlessly for hours on end trying to get that thing to cut square two times in a row. I could get it to cut square once, but then it would lose its settings. It was just maddening using that tool. Um, and so, uh, you know, the quality of, of tools can, can make a difference in your experience uh, as a machine or a hand tool woodworker, wood that's for certain. So I had... Um, a radial arm saw. Uh, from there, I, I got a bandsaw, which changed my life. Uh, an old Yates American bandsaw. Bandsaws like these, uh, old cast iron jobs, are um, so superior to what's getting built these days. Um, which most of them just have a sheet metal body now. And the and the thing that uh, machinery designers uh, knew, well from the 20s and 30s, from the Industrial Revolution, is that cast iron mass uh, helped dampen vibration. And that made a huge difference in, in how the tool performed. And so this little, it's a 16-inch bandsaw, uh, was considered a school or a shop bandsaw. It was considered a little tiny guy. But it still weighs several hundred pounds and um, has uh, cast legs and a cast body, cast iron uh, wheels and a very simple system for uh, guiding the blade. Um, just a great, great tool. Now personally I think the bandsaw is the most important machine in a woodworker shop, a furniture maker shop, um, because of its versatility, its ability to rip material uh, easily and safely with less effort and less power required and less force and a smaller curve and safer, the list goes on. Um, but most people seem to buy a table saw first and, and there you have it. A lot of people own a table saw and that's how they get started uh, cutting up uh, sheets of plywood and that's clearly the, the best way to, to do that if you've got the space. Um, so many people are using uh, these machines, hand joiners, and planers, uh, routers, 
drill presses, all these things in order to to get work done. And what I tell my my students, and it's a bit of a, it may seem like a bit of a paradox to them, um, but when I have my, my mastery students uh, begin their course of study with me, we focus not on power tools, but on hand tools in order to get better on our power tools. How's that possible? Well, power tool junkies uh, have a particular way of thinking about things. Um, They expect certain results. They want things quickly. They want things accurately. There's a certain, I think, urgency uh, to a power tool woodworker's uh, approach that uh, doesn't always serve them well. (laughs) Truth be told, there are times when you need great patience as you set up a uh, a jig or fuss with a tool for five minutes in order to make a two-second cut. Um, Those are the things that power tools don't teach us very well. Hand tools, hand tool use does. And that's why I say to my students that by hand-cutting dovetails, they'll get better at the table saw. Ooh, But I think that's true. I really think that's true. Whether or not you end up hand-cutting dovetails um, for the rest of your woodworking life or not, learning how to do so, learning how to lay out joints and slow down and have patience and learn to check and fit, and um, it's that patience issue, I think, that becomes really important and becomes really valuable when you're setting up the router table. Because you want it done, you know, I'm in a hurry, come on, let's get this stuff done, you know, bang, bang, bang. And you can't always approach the work that way. Sometimes you just have to fuss with things. And learning patience, oh, let's just say that it was, that was a tough one for me. It, that took only decades. Um, it was a tough one. I was always in a hurry to get somewhere. And uh, hand tool work uh, really helped my power tool work. So let's talk about hand tools. There are people who only use hand tools, and they have a very particular approach to the to the work, and I think to the world uh, by making that choice. It is a slower, quieter, um, I won't say safer. Uh, you know, most of our worst accidents have been committed by uh, chisels. Uh, in the studio, Um, but for the most part safer than table saws and routers, joiners, those sorts of things. Uh, So there is uh, the distinct advantage that hand tool use carries of quiet. Being quiet at the bench is a big deal, and it really changes how you feel after a day of work. If you're if you've spent three hours on the table saw or three hours uh, with a hand saw, you feel different. There's no question about it. But the um, issue that I pose to anyone considering tooling up, whether it's they're going to tool up as a hand tool person or a power tool one, is what are you after? What do you want to do? If your purpose is to be quiet at the bench and um, produce at a very slow rate, that, in fact, production is, is not that important to you, then I think hand tool use is, is a great way to go. 
Um, but my approach is to build furniture. That's what I'm after. I'm, I want to build furniture. I want to get the work done. And so there's a great deal of power tool work that has to be done in order for me to get to my hand tool work. Um, I think that milling up lumber by hand is admirable and crazy after uh, one time. Uh, there's too much to be done to be, to be spending your time trying to make a piece of uh, white oak, uh, four square, parallel faced, and you know, that's it, a lot of work by hand. If that's your if that's your goal is to be doing things by hand, you have to understand that what comes along with it is a much slower pace. Uh, if that slower pace is is your goal, then I think uh, hand tools are a great way to go. What of course comes hand in hand, please pardon those puns, is sharpening. You have to learn to sharpen. If you don't know how to sharpen your hand tools, you're going to be unhappy because dull hand tools are a they're they're very difficult to use. I was going to call them a scourge, but they're they're not. But I remember when I when I first started, I had my dad's uh, 103 Stanley uh, block plane, and I it was a thin blade and hard to sharpen and hard to hard to fit. Uh, if you ever go to Patrick Leach's website, uh, the Electronic Neanderthal. Uh, fascinating, fascinating site. And he has a link there to Patrick's Blood and Gore, which is his list of all the Stanley hand planes and his take on them. And he considered the 103 essentially useless, even as a doorstop. And I took a little offense at that. You know, it was my, my dad had given me this hand plane, and I felt kind of close to it. It was, you know, hard to sharpen, as I mentioned, really thin blades, so a very short bevel, and boy, you really had to tuck your elbows in and concentrate on getting a, a good edge on it. And then once in the hand plane, uh, it was hard to adjust. That little lever on the backside is hard to adjust. But, you know, my dad had given it to me, so. And then uh, cutting end grain. Boy, it just didn't cut end grain very well. It didn't hold the, its setting. He had this wheel to screw it down, which didn't hold very well on the blade. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of things that didn't do well, but my dad had given it to me. And uh, then I got a Lee Nielsen uh, low-angle block plane at 102, and I put my dad's hand plane up on the top of the shelf, and that's where it sits. And I used the, the 102 Lee Nielsen all the time. Easier to sharpen because of a thicker blade, uh, easier to hold the adjustment. Um, it's just a much better tool, just right down the, right down the line. And uh, I've told uh, Thomas Lee Nielsen that I think it's, it's his best tool. He, he has a, a different opinion. Uh, and who am I to tell him what I, what I think about things? But it is my favorite Lee Nielsen tool, the low-angle block plane. And uh, fits the hand great. It does a superlative job of shaping and chamfering, and you can clean up joints, and uh, you can shape templates and curve parts because it's short enough, and it just fits your hand beautifully. All of those things add up. And it's relatively easy to sharpen. Even the A2 steel they use on the blade is relatively easy to sharpen because it's a thicker blade. And that changed everything for me. Uh, having hand plants that I couldn't get sharp was just a frustration. And uh, sometimes it's a very simple thing. Uh, I had a, uh, a shoulder plane. Uh, no, I had a bullnose plane. Uh, 
Now, a bullnose plane can be used as a shoulder plane. Um, and let me just back up a little bit for those of you who don't know. Uh, these joinery-style planes differ from that low-angle block plane in that their blade is as wide as the sole of the tool. So the blade extends as wide as the tool is wide. And so that uh, allows you to get right up to a corner and clean up a joint face and uh, really handy for, for joinery. But my bullnose plane had a really short nose on it, so it was very difficult to get the cut started. Very difficult. You could also take the nose completely off and turn it into a chisel plane, uh, whose best feature is basically to dive into a cut. Um, but occasionally it's, it has its purpose, its uh, usefulness. Um, but that bullnose plane was tough to use, relatively easy to sharpen the blade, but didn't stay adjusted very well. And I had it for years. I really had it for years. And then I picked up a, a Clifton shoulder plane, which is just a delightful tool. Uh, a little narrow, uh, only five-eighths of an inch wide. And this Clifton had, uh, had a much more positive uh, lever, levering action uh, to hold the blade in place. And I, and I studied that after a time using it and realizing that it just held its setting so much better than my bullnose plane. And realized that the bullnose plane was, was touching on just the very tip of that lever that held the blade down. Just the very tip, and it just wasn't enough pressure. I couldn't get enough pressure on the front of the blade, so I flattened that out. And so you realize that um, your job as a hand tool woodworker is to understand metal. You need to know metal. You need to know how to flatten and uh, grind and perhaps harden, uh, sharpen and hone steel in order to get great results with your hand tools. And you go, whoa, that's not what I thought. I just want to use hand tools. No, you got to be a, you have to be a metal worker in order to be a good hand tool woodworker. You have to know your steel, and it makes a difference. And you'll see the difference. You'll feel the difference in uh, in certain tools, and you'll say that that makes a difference. There's a difference in using this um, this old Stanley 750 or a new Lee Nielsen uh, bench plane or those uh, uh, Lee Valley uh, A2 uh, chisels. Uh, Hard keeps an edge forever compared to an old, uh, you know, run of the mill chisel um, that can just dull up if you look at it cross eyed and, and as a result are really dangerous. You're much better off with sharp tools. Number one, when you cut yourself, the cuts heal more quickly. <laughs> That's a huge, a, a huge value. Um, so sharper cuts heal heal better, heal faster. Uh, but you have better control with a sharp tool. And uh, a dull tool, you're, you're pushing and shoving, and this, you know, the wedge that you're working with is so... The angle isn't acute enough for it to be doing good work, and it becomes a more dangerous tool. Your ability to keep things sharp is an important one as a hand tool woodworker. If we have, you know, b these two camps... Where's the middle ground? I'm a centrist. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's not that I don't mind the fringes. That's not it at all. I just know that there's things to be gotten uh, from both sides. And so I sit back and I say, what's my goal? What is my goal here? My goal is to be building furniture. It's not to be completely 
how should I put it, quiet at the bench. It's important to be quiet at the bench, but I can do that in a variety of ways. And I can feel like a hand to a woodworker using my router. My goal is uh, to be building to be building work. And um, what I like to have in my toolkit are choices. So I have choices when it comes to joinery. I can, I can put a, a, a box together with rabbit joints and screw it together or uh, uh, put a box together with dovetails. I can um, decide to uh, cut my joints by hand or I can do them uh, on the table saw. Uh, it, it's simply a question of what am I after and having that variety of tools at my disposal in my kit makes a huge difference. I'm going to teach a uh, beginning class coming up this uh, winter term. And uh, I think I'm going to talk to the students about the importance of the tool that you grab. Uh, imagine if you're a carver. Now, carvers, um, I, I'm not sure if you're aware of the great wood carver Nora Hall. She, uh, she's no longer with us, but uh, she started out at the age of 10 with her... Uh, Danish father, um, wood carving, and um, she told me that you know a beginning wood carver would have oh about two hundred carving tools. A beginning wood carver, <laughs> so you're not a wood carver is not struggling with uh, you know a, a number five uh, five millimeter wide carving gouge when a number six is what you need, and that's going to give you the shape required. Uh, it's so interesting to see a carver work uh, when producing rounds and shapes and things by having the right tool rather than having to make a dozen cuts with a straight tool uh, to achieve similar, if not exactly, the same results. So having the right tool at hand can make a big difference. My goal in, in teaching beginners is to show them the variety of tools and then let them make the choice. I think that's always the way. If you become a woodworker, uh, there are uh, a couple of things that I that I know about you, and um, one of them is that you are an independent thinker. After a certain time, you will say, "Well, geez, I don't know. This guy's got. A, I don't know. I don't know if I like his approach. I'm going to do it my way." That's exactly what I'm looking for. That is my goal as a teacher: is to get you to push away from me and go your own way. That's the goal, because woodworkers are problem solvers. Woodworkers want to figure things out for themselves and find their own ways. In the beginning, it's too difficult to know uh, which way you want to go with things, whether you want to be a hand to a woodworker or a power to a woodworker or some mixture of both. Um, but the, I think your goal should be to try many methods and see which ones work the best for you. Uh, don't uh, eschew the power cord uh, or the battery pack um, when it's the when it makes sense. Um, I know that for me, there you know there's there are a number of, of tasks that have to occur with each job. So you have to mill up the lumber. You're not just buying it flat and square from the lumberyard. It doesn't come that way from the lumberyard. You have to deal with it. And then you have joinery, and then you've got shaping, sanding, and assembly, and then you've got detail work. Well, I'm not crazy about millwork. I want to get it done. So I use my power tools for that. Um, joinery, 
I used to fuss over that. I don't fuss so much anymore because most of it's hidden. Uh, the stuff that is not hidden, that is visible, I do a, a good job, make sure that it, it looks good. But uh, again, what's hidden, um, I, don't get, uh, I don't get points for that. I do, a, I do a very good job on that. But I move on because what I'm interested in are the surfaces, the details, because that's what people get attracted to after the proportions, of course. Um, that's what people go to. If someone likes your furniture, they come up and they touch it. So what are the things that I can do tactily to, to make a difference and make someone really want to engage with this piece of furniture? So that's the fun stuff. That's what I want to get to. That also happens to be handwork. But I use power tools in order to get there. I guess in conclusion, my feeling is that it's a, it's a mixture for me. I use both power tools and hand tools. I use the ones that make the most sense. Uh, depending on uh, a variety of factors, including how quickly do I need to get the job done? Am I getting paid for it? If it's a Christmas present, it's late, um, so I'll need to get it done fast. Uh, what are the what are the things that I need to, cons- need to consider uh, in order to uh, to build this piece and make my choices appropriately? Well, this has been Gary Rogowski for the Northwest Woodworking Studio. Thanks very much for listening. If you like what you hear, you can help us out on Ko-Fi. There's a link on our site to uh, help support this podcast. I would appreciate your support. Also check out our full schedule of classes on the website, northwestwoodworking.com. I want to mention that we've got, uh, in February, an interview with Thomas Lee Nielsen. Uh, coming up. It's a fun chat about hand tools and his approach and philosophy. Um, We spent a good deal of time talking about those things. So um, be sure to check that out uh, coming in February. And next week, a little chat about hardware. Thanks very much. Take care.